0: The rising inequality and growing political instability that we see today are the direct result of decades of bad economic theory.
1: It's time to build our economy from the bottom up and from the middle out, not the top down.
0: Middle out economics is the answer.
1: Because Wall Street didn't build this country. Great middle class built this country.
0: The more the middle class thrives, the better the economy is for everyone, even rich people like me.
1: This is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, a podcast about how to build the
2: economy from the middle out. Welcome to the show.
1: One thing that you and I have in common, Nick, is that we both love our children. That's true. Right.
0: I, well, and... sort of. I think I might <laughs> I, I think I lo- I love my children millions of times more than you do.
1: Yeah, that's what I was getting that. Because, you know, as a parent, you want to give your children everything. And of course, in your case, you can. (laughs) That's right. Because you own everything. Yep. Yep. And so uh, a a subject uh, I'm sure you've spent uh, some time thinking about is... uh, Well, you know, not to get too morbid here, but uh, none of us live forever. And, uh, you know, what you're going to leave your children and how they might inherit it.
0: Yep. The old inheritance tax conundrum.
1: That's right. And it puts you in a strange place because, of course, you want to leave your children very comfortable. I don't know if comfortable is the right word to what they should be expecting, Uh, but you also... Clearly, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that you are very concerned about income and wealth inequality and uh, how it's uh, not just um, destroying the ability of our economy to uh, uh, solve our everyday problems, but it's also undermining our democracy.
0: Yeah. And yeah, so I have, you know, obviously, like lots of people, I've mixed feelings about the inheritance tax, which is an important feature or it should be an important feature of our economy. And today we're going to talk to David Stasavage, who's a prominent political scientist known for his expertise in taxation and inequality, about the estate tax. Because, Goldie, as you know, we're going into this, you know, the boomers who have a lot of dough— are uh-huh. growing older and dying, and uh, I can't remember exactly what the number is, but something like a thirty trillion dollar transfer of wealth from boomers to their heirs is going to to their heirs, not hairs, hairs and heirs, probably. <laughs> well, uh,
1: some yeah. of them are spending a lot on hair right. plugs. Yeah. I'm exactly. guessing. Yeah. Not me. Not me. Yeah. My my hairs are inheriting nothing, and my daughter will inherit none of my hairs. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, oh, but over the next couple of decades, that's gonna that's gonna take place. And, you know, that's an extraordinary wealth transfer that will be convenient for some, but ultimately potentially really bad for the democracy. Because, you know, as we've as we said many times, you know, the more concentrated the wealth in the society is, the more unlikely it is that the society will function highly to the benefit of the majority of citizens. And so anyway, I just it's a really interesting problem. And I'm excited to find out what David thinks about it.
2: My name is David Stasavage. I'm a professor of political science at New York University. I've written several books related to inequality, one of which is uh, Taxing the Rich, A History of Fiscal Fairness, with my co-author, Ken Chebe, who's at Yale. And the second one is the decline and rise of democracy. Uh, Both of those are published by Princeton. And the taxing the rich book was two thousand sixteen, and decline and rise of democracy came out in twenty twenty.
1: I'm guessing those two theses are related.
2: Everything is related. (laughs) When when you get to be an academic of this age, it's all the same thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: That's great. So. Uh, today we get to talk to you about the inheritance tax. Um, so, for our listeners, why don't you create some context and tell us about the, you know, the history of the inheritance tax, what its purpose was, and how that's changed over time.
2: Sure. And just let me preface that by saying that in, in, we're a little bit different in the U.S. in that we call it the estate tax, whereas everybody right. other in any other country calls it inheritance. So if you're fine with that, I'll just say inheritance tax. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. That's fine. Yeah, it's interesting. It's inter- th- that distinction is very interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the interesting thing about the inheritance tax is that inheritance taxes actually predate income taxes. Uh, and that is because back in the 19th century, when a lot of European and... Western countries were establishing inheritance taxes. They had a somewhat self- enforcing quality to them because if someone died and their heir wanted to get title or probate uh, to their to whatever was left to them, then they wanted to go to some official authority to have that registered. You didn't want to keep it you know under wraps and just say, oh, this is mine." so, automatically uh, governments got in the habit of saying, okay, well, if you need to do that with us, then we'll charge you a stamp fee initially, or maybe we'll charge you something higher than that. And eventually we got full-blown inheritance taxes. And this was all before governments had the capacity to create anything uh, resembling a modern income tax because you didn't have well-developed banking systems or ways of tracking income or even a concept of what annual income was.
1: That's so fascinating. And there's a long... There's a long established history uh, in English common law that that goes back to.
2: Yes. What's changed over time? Well, I think what's changed over time is there were some people in the 19th century, initially it was used for raising revenue, and then there was a big debate about what should the role of the inheritance tax be in uh, establishing equality of opportunity. And John Stuart Mill favored uh, prominently in that. And... What happened eventually was that the income tax became a much more important source of revenue and really supplanted the the inheritance tax. So if I remember correctly from our data, the U.K. was the country that was probably raised more of its revenue as a share of coming from inheritance taxes in than at any other time. And that would have been in the early 1900s, first decade of the 20th century, and it was still only about 10% of total revenue. Whereas, of course, income taxes today make up a a much larger share of revenue. And inheritance taxes uh, in a lot of countries have taken on an increasingly uh, small share of revenue. There's no really uh, rich industrial country today that derives a a substantial source of its revenues from inheritance taxation.
0: One of the strands it's quite interesting to explore is the different justifications, whether it's raising, you know, the practical uh, challenge of raising revenue, or the more political challenge of maintaining equality of opportunity and, and tr- trying to avoid it effectively in landed aristocracy. We're, we're, the, we're,
1: the old, the old Brandeis quote yeah. about we can have, we can either have democracy or wealth concentrated in the hands of the, of the few, but. We can't have both.
0: yeah, so my qu- my question sort of is, is it in the United States, how has that ebbed and flowed? And tell us a little bit about the history of the tax in the in the u s?
2: The history of the tax in the u s and certainly the debates um, you know in the progressive area of the early twentieth century, they were also tied up with um, antitrust regulations and things like this is it was very commonly people said, too much concentration of wealth or market power or what you have you is bad for democracy. If the initial rationale for the inheritance tax was revenue, that came to be a second rationale, was to say we, we need to avoid having too high a concentration of wealth because inevitably that'll be bad for a democracy because if there's so much wealth concentrated in the hands of so few people, they'll be able to gain undue influence on the, on the democratic process.
0: When did we first get an inheritance tax and what has has happened over the years?
2: As a a serious element of revenue raising, it has declined over time because basically what happened is the threshold for inheritance has been pushed up progressively and the the rates are not what they used to be. Um, The inheritance tax rates in a lot of countries kind of track to some extent income tax rates. So they went way up during the period of the two world wars. Uh, stayed up for a while and then came way back down. And to the point today where a lot of countries have abolished their inheritance tax. Even the Swedes have abolished their inheritance tax.
1: But they have a a wealth tax. Yes, they have a, a combined wealth, wealth
2: and income tax. But, but it, you know, it's interesting. And there's other countries that don't have a wealth tax that we think of as being progressive that uh, that have
1: abolished their inheritance tax.
0: Interesting. So who who else has abolished an inheritance tax? I'm surprised
1: to hear that. Yeah, Nick is interested. Yeah. I mean, not that Nick, not that Nick's going to have a, a huge fortune to leave to his heirs or anything.
2: Yeah. yeah you know, I'm trying to having a hard time remember from our 2012 paper, but I think the Australians have certainly done it. There's a number of countries that have done it that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of as being like, uh, you, know, you know, right or right wing or something like that. And they've, they've done away with it. And the other thing about inheritance taxation is if, you know, if you look at the U.S. and the U.K. cases, it's pretty unpopular
1: doesn't poll very well. You mean the death, t- the death tax? Yeah,
2: <laughs> well, it's the death tax. I mean, it's also, so people have, have done some sophisticated surveys where they refer to it either as inheritance or death, and it makes a small difference to how the respondents are, but people just for some reason, and we can talk about that in a minute, do not like an inheritance tax.
1: How about when we call it an estate tax?
2: No, that doesn't, that doesn't Doesn't make a difference. No. Okay,
1: so we need to do some better branding here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I hate to put you on the spot, but do you remember, you know, the last 50 years or so of where the inheritance tax has been in the United States and how that's evolved, uh, at least since the beginning of the neoliberal era?
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it was already at the beginning of the neoliberal era, uh, taking in a smaller share of revenue than it did previously, but that that, it's only come down over time as there's been so many exemptions and as the ceiling has been raised, so it now touches very few people at all. There's also, of course, lots of ways of doing estate planning to try to avoid it. So it's a a curious thing that you would think if a tax really only burdens a very small section of the population, then why shouldn't there be a large majority in favor?
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. What, what do you think that is? Why, why do you think that is?
2: Well, I think you know a lot of people, particularly on the left, sort of think about that situation and they scratch their heads and they say, geez, this doesn't make this just doesn't make sense. You know, why shouldn't we be favorable to this? And most people aren't going to pay it. It'll do something to reduce uh, inequalities of wealth, hopefully. Um, which is, you might think of it as just being fair. Uh, you might think of it as being something that's good for preserving our democracy. And I, I think that the problem that people sometimes don't realize is that there are two, very, two fairness norms
1: mm-hmm. that
2: are um, very strong ones and come into conflict here. So the way that John Stuart Mill thought about the inheritance tax was to say that we are individuals, and individuals ought to be able to start out life without having endowments that are too radically different. So if you think that's the case, then you really would be supportive of uh, quite a steep inheritance tax because that, it's going to help uh, achieve that objective. Now, the other norm uh, is that you think that people should be able to save for their children. And it's unclear, some would suggest, why, you know, if we think of societies composed not of individuals, but of individual family dynasties, then it seems like a dynasty ought to be able to pass on things from one generation to the next, just as I ought to be able to fairly uh, save for my retirement without having that taxed an extra amount just because I'm saving it for later on within my own lifespan.
0: David, you've said that the the actual amount of tax receipts from the, from the uh, inheritance tax is relatively low. But if you just stipulate that the inheritance tax was what David wanted it to be, could it be a lot?
2: Well, I would think of an alternative tax that could raise money and that polls very well, and that is a net wealth tax, Mm. as some countries have implemented and as uh, we've already discussed in the case of, of Sweden. Because if you look at polls on net wealth taxes, a small amount of your wealth taxed each year, rather than having some large chunk taken at the time of death, which seems like a particularly sensitive time, or at least I suspect it is, um, then when people run surveys asking individuals what they think about that, they're much more favorable. They're much more favorable to a net wealth tax than they are to the inheritance tax.
0: Okay. We're going to come back to that, but I'm asking a more practical arithmetic question,
1: which is, what, what would it raise if we were at, like, 1970 rates?
2: It wouldn't raise that much. It wouldn't raise nearly as much as a net wealth tax was. That's why I shifted over to talking about a net okay, wealth so tax. Okay, mm-hmm. why,
0: why, and why is that? Can you explain the arithmetic to us?
2: Uh, because I think the arithmetic is that, for one reason or another, you'd have to have an inheritance tax with really, really high rates to raise a lot of money.
0: Well, I mean, the rates for big, big estates is 50%, right? Which is a yeah, pretty so high you, rate.
2: It's a pretty high rate, but again, there's so many ways, there are also so many ways to do estate planning to get out of this, and that that's not an area where I am expert. But the you know, for any person who's really that wealthy, uh, they're going to be engaging in various strategies that are ways of getting around uh, the inheritance tax. There are countries where in England, for example, the inheritance tax, agricultural land is exempted and you think of that as being well that's you know to preserve small farmers but it turns out a lot of the agricultural land in england is owned by very rich people who were formerly in the nobility yeah and so automatically we're still in
0: the nobility
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they're still in the nobility yeah so automatically a huge swath of their wealth is just totally not subject to the tax at all so so it seems like it's, it's unpopular it, it's difficult to administer uh, and it's hard to think about it doing it in a way that would raise a lot of revenue. And so Interesting. this is why, again, I'm, well, I'm and there, coming back
0: to... Yeah, I have some experience with this.
1: <laughs> do, do <you>? Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, I think that there are principally two ways of getting out from under paying lots of inheritance tax. The first is to set up a trust for your children before you die, where you transfer some of the money into the trust. But I mean, there's a there's a limit to that. And of course one of the things that you're doing is you're giving up you're giving up that money for your children during during your life and the second thing that i think is much more significant in terms of the avoidance of taxes that you can you can donate it to charity right you can create a big foundation which is what many of the best known philanthropists in the country have done uh, uh both as a way to ideally generate some good although that doesn't always happen, but definitely it's yeah, a great.
2: I, I, I think the problem is those things tend to go to um, very select sources. Um, so when, um, you know, part of Lincoln Center is now named after David Geffen that, you know, it's not there's most most of the people that go to the Lincoln Center are pretty well off yeah. already right not mm-hmm. it's not like yeah. it's supporting but, the poor so it's no, but, so but the and Gates you know,
0: Foundation or whatever you know the Ford Foundation well, whatever a, it is that's a different that's yeah. a
2: different beast yeah. yeah the Gates Foundation they've really done a tremendous amount yeah. um you know the, the the other thing and it's certainly the case that a lot of these um, donations that are made they're often they, they, they specified that they will remain as part of the estate and so it stays as part of the estate until a person dies as their wealth um, yeah. until they die and then when they die it goes you know to this, this this other source rather than into the the. US Treasury. Yeah,
1: correct. I'd like to get to a little bit of the other justification for an estate tax, and that is addressing the concentration of inherited wealth. Yeah. Uh, concentrated inherited wealth is a pox on our democracy. And the founders understood that. and uh, we seem to have understood that through most of the country's history. And we don't seem to understand that now. How important is an estate tax simply to uh, lessen that that divide that has been increasing over the past forty years?
2: Well, uh, I mean it's it's incredibly important. And the, the you know the thing to if you look at um, Thomas Piketty's for, uh, for, uh, 2014 book, um, which was uh, so influential, and he did mm-hmm. a lot of work to show how. The share of total private income from inheritance is growing, and going to keep growing. And so, we are in a world where it's you know it's a little bit more like the Gilded Age, where there were people who made most of their you know they didn't need to make any money it was it was, it was all inherited right, and there was a substantial fraction of income that came from uh, at the time wealth a lot of it was in government bonds uh, for example and so. Our society is heading towards a division like that. And so you do wonder how healthy that is for our democracy.
0: Yeah, you actually don't wonder. <laughs> you may wonder. Yeah. We don't wonder.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm, you know, the, the, the reason I say that, of course, is that this is and this is something I talk about in the 2020 book, is that, you know, like it or not, paradoxically, democracies have been able to survive with very high rates of inequality. Yeah, uh, And this is true for a lot of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, that, you know, Maybe it's good that democracy survives, but as I say in the in the last uh, sentence of my 2020 book, we also have to be happy with a democracy that does survive, and you know, ask whether it's delivering uh, what people expect from it. And that's where you fear that, yeah, it might survive, uh, electoral competition might continue, but that policymaking is going to be very heavily influenced by, uh, you know, the fact that wealth is uh, is heavily concentrated and held by a relatively High amounts of wealth held by a relatively narrow amount of the section of the population.
0: So let's get to your affirmative case, which is what should we do? Where do you think think policymaking should go?
2: I I, I think the next next stage, and I don't know when this will happen or if it will happen, is to follow along the lines of what Piketty suggested in his 2014 book where he advocated for uh, an annual net wealth tax. He wasn't calling for using the inheritance tax to deal with this issue. And so if it does poll better than the inheritance tax, why would one not think of that? And that as you have so much more wealth out there, I think, you know, particularly as governments, Western governments have very high levels of debt, public debt, someone's going to come along at some point, uh, some political entrepreneur, and say, hey, we have this huge source of private wealth, let's start taxing it to help solve some of our uh, our fiscal problems.
0: Interesting. And, and and what's your best guess about how that would be structured?
2: My best guess is that it would be some small, I, you know, I don't know, Piketty, I think Piketty suggested something like 2% of net wealth per year, which is actually quite high. Because if you think about mm-hmm. that, you know, the thing about an inheritance tax is the rates are higher, but it happens only once. But this is every single year.
1: So, so, it compounds. so you, know,
2: you know, say you're thinking that you're, earning you know five percent per annum on average uh, on wealth that you know two percent tax means it's 40 percent of your income from wealth that's huge yeah now correct I, I doubt politically that a two percent uh, rate would be considered to be feasible but something smaller might and that's that's to that's to be debated now you know the other thing to to recognize about the net wealth tax we do have to be careful it, it does hold better than inheritance taxation but it's not entirely clear that most people know what a net wealth tax is so when some of these surveys are presented that it's not it's not they don't necessarily explain it in advance and my my co-author from the 2016 book ken Shivi and i did um, some surveys uh one survey i think it was where we asked about support for a net wealth tax and then we gave people an open-ended opportunity to explain to us what a net wealth tax is and most of them had no idea you know the ideas were all over the place so it's possible that once that is explained in more detail, that support for it will dwindle. But, you know, it seems like it seems like I, I would just be willing to bet that if there's going to be a new trend in wealth taxation, it's not going to be via the inheritance tax. It's going to be something through something like a net wealth tax.
1: And, and to be fair, the majority of Americans already pay a net wealth tax of sorts. If you're a homeowner, you pay a property tax, which is... Uh, a pretty significant chunk of the value of your house, which, by the way, is the typical American household's largest asset. And even if you're a renter, you're sort of indirectly paying the property tax as well, uh, because the cost of that tax is passed on to you in rent. That's so, right.
2: And so, for you know, for states and localities in the 19th century, well, it, today as well, it's still a huge source of revenue. But that was you know was a very important source of revenue in an era where we had not yet fully industrialized we didn't have uh, a banking system that was good enough to track uh, income annually and so taxing wealth was the uh, the easier thing to do and so yeah my but my, you know coming back to the main point my guess is that if there is a new trend towards uh, taxing wealth in one way or another it will be through the a net wealth tax or something similar and not through inheritance taxation
1: so, Nick, do you want to air your why you're uncomfortable with a wealth tax? Oh,
0: you know, we, we've been over this before. I mean, you know, the, the wealth taxes are complicated because it's hard to say how much wealth many people have. And, you know, David, in my world, which has been in the, sort of the tech entrepreneur world, you know, one minute you're worth a billion dollars and the next minute yeah. you're bankrupt, yeah. right? I could tell you a hundred stories about that. <laughs> like, like yeah. you know, and, like and, it and, just... Yeah. So the idea that you're going to pay a... You're going to pay a bunch of tax on paper wealth and then overnight have all of that wealth disappear it is, you know, somewhat terrifying yeah. because, I, you know, it's happened to me. I've seen it happen to tons of my friends, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, not to mention th- those are public companies, right? Who are worth a hundred dollars a share one day and worth a dollar a share the next. But to say nothing of private companies.
2: You know, there's the issue of the fluctuations from year to year, yeah. which could be tr- tremendous. And there is the the, issue, the other issue you've alluded to there is it's hard to track. And so this is true. This is fundamentally different from the 19th century, where, uh, you know, a much greater share of national wealth, national private wealth was held in land. It's hide, hard to hide land, yes. right? It's there. And so it was taxable. Whereas today, uh, the composition of wealth is much more complicated. Wealth can be placed here. It can be placed abroad. Uh, there's all sorts of issues yeah. involved that are just a greater degree of complexity. Although a lot of those come to fore with the inheritance tax too, right? Uh, so, um,
0: Yeah, but you only have to calculate that once, right? You have to, you have to bear yeah. down and figure it out and take a pass, but you don't have to do it every year, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, the
2: thing is, we haven't even really tried. Uh, and so it would be interesting to see if there's some experiments that get launched in this direction eventually. I'm a political scientist I'm not an economist, so that's my <laughs> prediction about what I what I think might have more political sustainability. Now, would it be a giant mess, uh, perhaps maybe probably. Yeah. I don't know. that's you know I'm a little bit less qualified to to judge on 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 that front.
1: Yeah, I have I have more faith in the super rich to uh, their ability to innovate, to figure out how to calculate their own net wealth on a regular basis, <laughs> and to construct a wealth tax that actually works and takes into account all of these uh, uh, possibilities and eventualities. Uh, well, in a way yeah, that-
2: absolutely, and that is you know that's the you know the political commitment is not there. Right uh, it's not so let me let me give an analogy from the income tax. Um, in the 1960s, when Britain had a top marginal rate of income taxation of 95 percent, so you know when George Harrison wrote about you know 19 one for me and 19 for you or whatever mm-hmm. the line was, the tax man, the person who had headed the inland revenue, which is what they called their revenue agency at the time wrote and explained how they collected the tax and explained how, they dealt with issues like, say, people being part owners of a company and not um, taking part of the company's income as part of their own income in a given year, so as to you know, basically not have to pay tax on it. And what the government did at the time was they just said, okay, you should have been taking this fraction of income. That would have been the reasonable fraction that should have been declared as your own income. And you, own, you owe us tax on the base of that, even if you haven't officially deposited into your bank account. Now that's, you know, that's, that's a different that's world, a t- right?
0: That's a tough, that's a tough one.
2: <laughs> that's, said, yeah. that's the thing, you see, that's a very, very different world yeah. politically uh, from what you would have today yeah. uh, with either, you know, either the inheritance tax or the net wealth tax where there's just not a very strong, commi- you know, that story that I just encountered, the idea that someone would propose doing that today in that the, the you know the US Congress would pass it i mean that is it, you know it's you know i'm more likely to get hit by a meteorite um, right. coming out of my office <laughs> yeah. right after this yeah. podcast <laughs> than 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 is the you know the probability of something like that actually being implemented
0: yeah i think i i i suspect you're right
1: again i have faith in human uh, ingenuity <laughs> to figure out how all of civilization is about taxation yeah. <laughs>
2: well, that's true. We yeah. do need revenue, you know, and that's that's the and, and the question is where it comes from and what the, you know, and one of the problems uh, in this country right now, of course, is that we're so focused on other issues. The idea of any big debate about tax about taxation just can't really happen. You know, if you contrast us with the UK, the UK, well, first of all, they still have an annual but- government budget, if you can believe that, instead of just this scatter shot, you know, continuing resolutions or bills. Uh, they have a budget speech in April where the Chancellor of the Exchequer explains what they propose uh, to the Commons. Uh, it's discussed in the newspapers. It's a salient issue of uh, public uh, discussion. Um, taxes just aren't really salient in American political discussion today, in part, I think, because we're debating much bigger issues, but also simply because our public, federal public finances are so not legible to most people unless you spend you know unless you you make a profession of studying what's going on with the with the budget and how we're spending and how we're raising money you know the, the average voter doesn't have the time to do that right and so it it's and it, it just and we don't have an annual budget speech where everything is laid out we have you know presidents have continuously for decades come up with budgets that are sort of wish lists and don't really you know eventually things get decided in a different way and there's certainly no general budget speech that everybody listens to. Yeah.
0: So a couple of final questions, David. The first, and you've you've hinted at this, which is our benevolent dictator question. If you were in charge, and just political constraints aside, uh, what would you do? What do you think the best thing for the United States would be?
2: Here's here's, here's what I'd do, it's an easy way to answer this, I'd establish a commission.
0: Uh, (laughs) Come on, no, 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 no. he is a political scientist. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, i just i'd establish a commission to think about the feasibility of a wealth tax and i would uh and a net wealth tax and i would consult um i would have some some top tax law people we have some of them here at nyu's uh school of law and ask them to think about the feasibility of it and how a law could be written in such a way that this thing could actually be implemented that's probably the way i that's probably the way i go just because i think the the various barriers against inheritance taxation are just too...
1: You're dodging our question. Forget the right, politics. You said benevolent, you said benevolent dictator. Yeah, He's being benevolent. Yeah, I know. How but about if yeah. you were... No, I... uh, in, uh, forget the benevolence. You were just a dictator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you could well, just impose mean, your I mean, will.
2: Well, if I'm... Well, okay, it depends what my will is. If my <laughs> will is to maximize my own revenue at the expense of everybody else... Uh, that would be one thing, but that wouldn't that wouldn't be the goal. No, I just think we have to go out and make the case for rethinking um, taxation of wealth in one in one way or another. Okay. And people aren't really making the case out there out there now, and it needs to be done in a reasonable way, that you know sort of explains in, in a way that is uh, compelling and simple. And maybe you know coming back to that issue, do most people even have it, even the faintest idea of what a wealth tax is? Uh, you know, maybe see if one could establish uh, the discussion about that such that, you know, it might become more of a well-cemented idea in people's minds and then start off, you know, think about a wealth tax that's not too high, uh, but that would raise some more revenue. And, you know, God knows we're at a point where it's not only that we, inequality that we have to worry about, we have, do have to worry about our, our federal debt and how to manage that.
1: So essentially, you're saying Piketty was right.
2: I think he, Piketty tax. is right, but I think he, he proposes solutions that are, you know, he, he wanted to have like a, a top marginal income tax rate. He proposed of 70% or something like 70 or 75%. That's, that's not going to happen. That happened in cases, as we write in our book, where there was a world war, you needed revenue, an argument was made that everybody else is out there fighting, maybe losing their lives. Um, people who are above uh, you know conscription age who have higher wealth are sitting at home we ought to have a conscription of wealth as well. And that was an incredibly powerful argument made in, uh, in, in at the time of World War one and again in World War II and that's what gets you rates up to that level. but it's really only when you have those moments severe moments of crises like that where you have this sense that some people are sacrificing and others are not that you get, major policy moves like that. I
1: think. Like, like maybe, I don't know, uh, a uh, existential level climate crisis, impending climate crisis where, you know, we've got 10 years to transform our economy or else, uh, you know, civilization ending events.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm, you know, I'd like to be more, I'm generally an optimistic person, but uh, I'm, Not sure how optimistic I am on that front, just because it seems like we've had a lot of really bad climate crises already, if you look at what's happening. But they just seem to happen in this slow fashion Mm -hmm. that, well, they happen for a while and then they go away. Um, And that's the the sort of scary thing. But yes, potentially, I think you're right, maybe there could be something really big that happens. You know, some people thought that COVID would have done it, in part. So you know, if you think of the effect of lockdowns, some people could just sit at home and do their work, whereas other people, you know, their businesses had to shut; they had no income, and maybe that would have brought a differential. But you know, it really didn't. We ran a survey actually, saying that uh, you know, prompting people about the unequal effects of COVID during the lockdown era did prompt people to prefer a slightly higher top tax rate of of, uh, on income in the UK. But the effect was small. It wasn't anything like the effects of you know World War I or World War II on on the tax system.
0: One final question, David. Wh- why do you do this work?
2: Uh, you know, I don't know. I, th- I think that, that's, you know, it's just I've always been interested in history. I've been interested in politics. I'm interested in using history to think about where we where we are today. I do find that, you know, I'd like to hope that people think out there that we need to continue studying democracy and inequality because... We want to preserve our democracy and we acknowledge that some inequality may be justified by some people being more talented or exerting more effort or whatever. But we also recognize that you know some inequalities occur, a lot of them occur for unfair reasons and that ultimately too much inequality is, is, is unhealthy for a democracy either in that it can lead to the end of it or it leads to a form of democracy that gets really hollowed out.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us, fascinating thank stuff. You. Yeah, Goldie, you know, the most surprising thing to me about that conversation was David's lack of optimism, I suppose, around the inheritance tax itself. I must say, I was sort of anticipating him. When we were trying to put him on the spot on, like, what he would do, I I just assumed he would say, close all the loopholes and raise the rate to 70%. Right? Like I'm, the, you, I'm all for that. Yeah, you know, I I guess I would have... Thought that's where he was going to go. That's sort of where my head would go if I was going to address this. But he had a lot, you know. He obviously has, uh, you know, he's a lot of expertise around this. And as a political scientist, right, he's deeply attuned to what's politically viable, which it, it's a fair starting point, right? Um, right. What did but you did- What did you think?
1: Yeah, I I mean, obviously right now, in this moment, it would be very difficult to get back to, you know, nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties level of taxation on inheritances, on on income, et cetera. But, you know, it had been difficult before we got there. As he pointed out, yes, it took World War and the Cold War to to get at those top marginal rates and they've been declining ever since but we did get at those so you know politics change and it's not something you ever expect look you and i have been working together uh on changing the political narrative for almost a decade now you a bit longer and it's slow in coming oh my god it is slow in coming but it it's been coming we've made progress So, well, we may not be able to do the things we want with the tax code now, the things that we need to do. We may be able to do it in another 10 years if we continue to to work at it. Maybe I feel a bit more strongly uh, about uh, inherited wealth um, as somebody who won't inherit a lot of wealth and who won't pass a lot of wealth on. So it's you know, it's not my ox being gored. Um, but, you know, I mentioned in our conversation that Brandeis quote, which I think is true that you can have democracy or you can have concentrated wealth in the hands of the few, but you can't have both. And even yeah. worse is not just concentrated wealth, but inherited, concentrated inherited wealth. And understand when you go back to to Piketty, and you look what he's talking about, the era that we're returning to, that wealth, the way that earns income for the heirs, it's pure rent-seeking. Uh, you are you are essentially making money on your money by renting out your money or by uh, purchasing things that people pay rent on. This is a recipe for a rent-seeking inherited elite, which is what, you know, that's what Europe was for hundreds of years. Yeah. So would I take a 2% uh, wealth tax, annual uh, net wealth tax, over a uh, 60%, 70% uh, inheritance tax? Sure. Why not? It produces the money and uh, the revenue in a more... Uh, steady and reliable fashion. Uh, it actually raises more money over the long run. It's probably a more efficient tax in the long run. So I would take that. But I wouldn't give up on, on taxing large estates uh, because it's un-American. To, to establish these elites and one of the things that the word we didn't use in this we talk about money and wealth what we haven't been talking about power in this episode yeah and money buys power. power yeah wealth and power go together uh not just in a market economy in all economies not just in a democracy but in all political systems money and power go together and You can't run a democracy when you have this uh, small, extremely powerful elite who can basically overturn the will of the voters at their whim or deny the will of the voters, which we see, or fund a minority party like the Republican Party, fund these minority control where they don't have to uh, honor the will of the voters uh, because they're just going to hold on to their seats through gerrymandering and the screwed up uh, anti-democratic uh, mechanisms of the US Senate and the Electoral College. Yeah. So, you know, I I don't want to sound too dark, but I think we're at a we're at a very dangerous moment for a lot of reasons and one of which is our democracy is at risk and part of it is Trump who by the way is this rich, powerful, you know, inherited a lot of his wealth to start with. Uh, would be dictator. And that's what happens when you allow wealth and power to concentrate in the hands of the few. they're They're not all benevolent uh, billionaires like you, Nick. Yeah, it's complicated, complicated. It's complicated. And again, I want to get back to I know we've talked about this. I just want I just want to assure you, Nick, that if we did a one two percent wealth tax a net wealth tax, I know it will it will be difficult on you. Or rather on the people you hire <laughs> to figure out how much you own and how much you have to pay tax on. And I also understand, by the way, that some of your buddies are going to cheat, right? There's yeah. going to be a lot of evasion going on as if there isn't already. already. And yeah. But neither of those are reasons not to do it. Yeah, if, if, if you're going to make the tax code difficult on anybody, it should be the super wealthy uh, because they don't do their own taxes. And That's I, true. I just look at it. Look at it this way, Nick. You're making jobs. You're going to be a job creator from all the accountants you're going to have to hire to be able to figure out your taxes.
0: And I can feel great about that. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and of course, if you want to read more from David's to Savage, there will be links in the show notes.